don't you think that the world has had enough of Pope Francis? I mean, what does it mean that he was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize? It doesn't really matter whether he won or didn't win. It doesn't matter whether he feels he should accept the award or not. What does it mean? Why was he nominated in the first place? Let us remember that Alfred Nobel, the Swedish guy which the prize is named after, was the inventor of dynamite. And Nobel Peace laureates include Yasser Arafat, Henry Kissinger, Teddy Roosevelt, Albert Schweitzer, Lester B. Pearson, Martin Luther King, Desmond Tutu, the Dalai Lama, Nelson Mandela, Jimmy Carter, Barack Obama, and Mother Teresa. Winners also include some organizations like the International Committee of the Red Cross, which has won three times, the International Peace Bureau, UNICEF, Amnesty International, Doctors Without Borders, and the European Union. There is also a great list of people who never won the prize, but many think should have. Mahatma Gandhi, Dorothy Day, Bishop Elder Camara of Brazil, and Pope John Paul II. So, no Pope has ever won the prize. And when Mother Teresa won it, she said she was not worthy. She did accept the prize because she could use the money to help the poor. And I guess that's why she won the prize in the first place. Whether Pope Francis deserves to win or whether he should have or not accepted the prize is really irrelevant. I suspect he feels that he is also not worthy. But that's one of the reasons why, Nobel or no Nobel, he is a true man of peace. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello and welcome to an all-new Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. And before we get going, a special hello to all our new listeners in northern Michigan, thanks to the Barraga Radio Network. A special treat to you. If you're in Michigan, reach out to my Twitter, at Deacon Pedro GM, and we'll enter you into a draw to win a copy of Ken Canedo's book, Keep the Fire Burning, The Folk Mass Revolution, a book that we featured last week. So my Twitter, at Deacon Pedro GM, and we'll enter you into that draw. Last week, we also spoke about a great new parish resource, The Church Alive. This is great for pastors. If you want a 20% discount on The Church Alive, use the discount code ALIVE20. So the word ALIVE and the number 20. Go to saltandlighttv.org store and use the code ALIVE20 for a 20% discount on The Church Alive. That's good enough for the whole month of October. And today we have our usual segment. Alicia will be here with our news and Andrew will be here with Saint of the Week. And this Monday is Thanksgiving in Canada. So Father Thomas Rosica has a special reflection for Thanksgiving. And that's in about 20 minutes. And bishops are gathered in Rome for the Synod on the Family. And our Salt and Light correspondent, Sebastian Gomes, is there. So we'll be speaking with him in our second half hour. And afterwards, we get to meet a new singer-songwriter, Luke Spihar. So let's begin with a song. Here is The Prayer of Esther from Luke Spihar's new album, All is Gift.
That was our featured artist of the week, Luke Spihar, with The Prayer from his new album, All is Gift. And we're going to be speaking with Luke in our second half hour and in about five minutes, Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. But first, lots is going on in the Vatican. So here's Alicia. But first, Alicia, before we go to the Vatican, you've been away. Yes. Getting married. Yes. Congratulations. I did. Thank you. Thank you, Pedro. How's married life? Before we talk about the synod on family and the marriage, <laughs> how's married life? It's fine. I could give you a <laughs> thesis on my thoughts. <laughs> okay. Maybe it's I should be at the synod. Maybe you should. Yeah. <laughs> you should because we have uh, married couples that are presenting yep. to the bishops. Exactly. Right? So, is this the first time that we have in, in a synod of bishops that we have? Uh, non-bishops participating? Yeah. There's always non-bishop, as you say, non-bishop participants, yeah. experts, auditors, whatnot. And, and they're really people who are in some way connected to the topic at hand. So when it was the Synod on the Middle East, you had people who were working in different organizations right. related to the Middle East. And this time, of course, because the topic is about the family, the most logical people who should be at the Synod are married couples, people who work with married couples, people who mm -hmm. work with um, couples once their marriage has fallen apart. Right, like retrograde. All of those, exactly. Like all of those people who work with all of those situations that the Senate is hoping to look at. Right, okay. And these lay experts uh -huh. are actually opening all of the working sessions. That's right, that's right. Now I'm going to be speaking with Sebastian Gomes who is in Rome uh, in mm -hmm. our second half hour. He can kind of give us the mood of what's happening. He's there. Um, but so some of, what are some of the topics that are being addressed in this uh, pre-synod? <laughs> the, pre the Part one of yes. the two-part synod. Yes. So they're really following the working document that they set out. Each uh -huh. The working so document the had different chapters. W why don't we back up? Because I mentioned it last week a little bit. So there was a questionnaire that went out. Right. And out of that question, or the answers of that questionnaire, uh, this working document was developed. Exactly. The questionnaire was really aimed at taking the pulse mm -hmm. of where Catholics are right now with what the church teaches on marriage and the family. Okay. So it wasn't a, what do you think should happen? It was, where are we right now? And out of that, some themes came up, some patterns emerged, and the Synod was able to identify some key areas that are proving to be an issue. Mm -hmm. um, one of them, I think we talked about it when the working document came out, was having a pastoral plan for reaching out to people who are in same-sex unions, mm -hmm. the children of people who are in same-sex yes. unions. This came out in the questionnaire as something that just doesn't exist right now, Right. but it's a situation Catholics are facing. Mm -hmm. um, issues about you know, what to do when a Catholic is divorced and remarried. That's mm -hmm. one uh, situation that you know, a, a large number of mm -hmm. Catholics are actually yes. in. So they need to address that, all of those. So the way that the Synod is working is each day they're focusing on one of those topics. Okay. So far this week, they've looked at kind of an overview of God's plan and design of marriage and the family. Okay. Um, some practical initiatives that are currently in place. What are they? Where mm -hmm. are they? How do they work? And difficult family situations. What are some critical situations that families can find themselves in from the inside. How do things go wrong on mm -hmm. the inside? And what are the external factors 
that lead to those internal crises in the family. So those are the big topics that were discussed. Right. Um, with Within that, there have been some themes emerging based on what people have been saying, what participants have been saying. Now, like I mentioned, or maybe I mentioned this earlier to you when we were off air, we don't actually know. Yes, I was going to ask each, you. Yeah, we don't actually know what each synod father says. Because the texts are not published. That's right. At past synods, journalists would get a document, a, a multi-page document in like five different languages. Uh-huh. And it would we would get the full text of what each and every synod father said mm-hmm. that day at the synod. Right. We're not getting that now. Interesting. We're getting just a summary from the Vatican spokesperson. Mm-hmm. And I, we are told that the hope is that doing it this way, they'll actually create an environment in the Synod Hall where the fathers, the Synod fathers will feel free to speak to say, openly uh, without worrying about what's the headline going to be tomorrow. That makes sense because that's what the Holy Father has asked them to do, to be open, to exactly. say what's on their mind. Okay, so we are going to get more more, more, more details about this as we speak uh, with Sebastian later. And I'm sure that next week, Alicia, will also get more details from you. So we're getting it from Alicia Ambrosio and from Sebastian Gomes and our team in Rome. Um, thank you very much. You're welcome. You can watch Alicia on her show, Vatican Connections on Salt and Light TV, every Friday, 8 p.m. East, and online at saltandlighttv.org. You can follow her at Vati Connections. Hi, this is Father Rob Gallia, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. You can podcast our show for free at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And you can tell us how much you like this show by emailing us at radio at saltandlighttv.org. Also on Twitter, my personal Twitter, at Deacon Pedro GM. And now it's time for... Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. Andrew, welcome back. Thank you, Deacon Pedro. How are you? I am very good. Thank you. So we have a uh, South American saint? Absolutely. Um, We're all very happy over here. I thought we would look at... um, And you know what? You're not the only one who's kind of like had to shake their head because you're like, what? St. Teresa of Jesus? Of the Andes? Yes. Do you mean St. Teresa of the Cross? Do you mean St. Teresa of Avila? Like, who are you talking about? Yeah. I'm happy to tell our viewers about St. Teresa of Jesus, who we remember in a special way this coming week. Okay. So, Teresa de los Andes. Uh Uh-huh. This is actually this saint, this week's saint, is dedicated to our technical director, uh, Javier Capella, only because he was really, really excited that I was doing a South American saint. Our technical director, he's Peruvian, he's not Chilean. No, he's married to a Chilean. A excited that we were doing it. He's married to so, a Chilean, his wife is from Chile, so that's why he's excited. Excellent. Yes. There you go. So there this you go. segment is dedicated not only to our listeners, but to Javier in a special way. All right. So Teresa de los Andes, um, from the year 1900 to 1920, is the first Chilean and the first Carmelite nun outside Europe to be declared a saint. Hmm. So she was born Juana Fernandez Solar, or you could call her Juanita, in Santiago on July the 13th in the year 1900, right at the start of the, uh, the 1900s. So um, the autobiography of the young Therese of Lisieux, not yet declared a saint, um, really, had an in- really had a huge influence on her early life and on her own letters. Um, and, you know, it helped reveal a profound spirituality and a commitment to Jesus and her deep Marian devotion. So we know that it was not uncommon for her to kind of talk to Jesus and Mary in a very natural and conversational way. 
But when she was 14, under God's inspiration, she desired to consecrate herself to Jesus as a religious in the church with the discalced Carmelite nuns. Mm -hmm. And we know that she had to wait another five years to fulfill that desire. So on the 7th of May in the year 1919, she entered the Carmelite monastery of Lozandis. Now you can find that um, if you travel 90 kilometers outside of the city of Santiago. And she was welcomed as a novice um, later on that year in September. And she took the name Teresa de Jesus, mm-hmm. Teresa of Jesus. So during that time, she um, took on the apostolate of letter writing. So her letters, when we look at them, they really, really speak and they radiate her love for Christ. And she was really, really happy of uh, being Jesus's alone. Okay, some of her friends, they were really, really touched. They were moved by her witness. They also made that decision and they entered religious life. Um, just a few months later, unfortunately, uh, she contracted typhus, and hmm. typhus is not typhus is not something that you want to get today and age, especially um, almost very similar to Ebola. You don't want to get Ebola um, because we know the tragic consequences of that. So, in the year April 1920, being close to death, Teresa was allowed to make her religious profession. She died days later, that being in Holy Week on April the 12th, 1920, just three months before her 20th birthday. So Teresa Juanita was beatified by St. John Paul II in uh, Santiago on April the 3rd, 1987. Um, She was canonized in Rome in a special ceremony, again, by St. John Paul II. That was in March in the year 1993. And her shrine in Los Andes, in Chile, just outside Santiago, is visited by over 100,000 pilgrims a year. Wow. A year. So, um, you know, we remember her feast day um, on Wednesday, October the 15th. Um, and it's very interesting um, why she was chosen, like why she was celebrated on October the 15th. Mm-hmm. Um, she entered the novitiate on the day before, on October the 14th. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. St. So, the Universal Church celebrates her life on Wednesday, October the 15th. And we remember um, St. Teresa of Jesus. St. Teresa of the Andes, Santa Teresa de los Andes, feast day October 15th, great, great uh, South American saint. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Andrew, for that. Thank you. And happy Thanksgiving. Yes, you too. Yes, happy Thanksgiving to all of our uh, Canadian listeners across the country and in the United States. Good. Yes, happy Thanksgiving. That's true. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you, Andrew. Andrew Santos is the youth minister at St. Justin Martyr Parish in Unionville, Ontario, and he is our saint expert. Hi, I'm Emma Fred, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. celebration of Canadian Thanksgiving makes an interesting counterpoint to the holiday celebrated by our American neighbors. Unlike the American tradition of remembering pilgrims and settling in the New World, Canadians give thanks for a successful harvest. At the heart of our Thanksgiving celebration is the idea of giving thanks for the goodness of the season past. And yet how often do we simply give thanks to God for who we are and what we have, when things are going well in our lives? Thankfulness is much more than saying thank you because we have to. Thankfulness is a way to experience the world, a way to perceive, a way to be surprised. Thankfulness is having open eyes and a short distance between the eyes and the heart. 
Many of us will spend lots of time around dining room tables this weekend, feasting on the traditional Thanksgiving fare and enjoying the company of family and friends. In the midst of the hustle and bustle of the feast, we can become so concerned with external appearances, so caught up with the details and activity, that we have no time for listening and welcoming our guests. What happens at table among people should be the focus of this feast of gratitude. In the New Testament, so much of Jesus' own ministry took place at table. There are those who say that you can eat your way through the Gospels. Jesus' sense of mission consisted of reaching out and drawing in, which constituted one fluid movement. This is the hidden meaning of the many meals that punctuate the New Testament meals with Levi and his friends, meals with Simon the Pharisee, meals with crowds on the hillsides, meals with disciples, the ideal meals described in his parables. It is ultimately during the final meal that Jesus leaves us with his most precious gift in the Eucharist. At this time of year, I've often watched the film Babette's Feast, one of my favorite movies about the transforming powers of a meal. It is a story of the opening of the hearts of a small puritanical community on the coast of Norway by the generosity of a French refugee cook. The movie, directed by Gabriel Axel, received the Academy Award in 1986 for Best Foreign Film and is a faithful adaptation of Isaac Dinesen's 1958 short story. Here's the plot. In 19th century Denmark, two adult sisters live in an isolated village with their father, who is the honored pastor of a small Protestant church that is almost a sect unto itself. Although they each are presented with a real opportunity to leave the village, the sisters choose to stay with their father to serve him and their church. After some years, a French woman refugee, Babette, arrives at their door, begs them to take her in, and commits herself to work for them as a maid, housekeeper, and cook. She arrived with a note from a French singer who had passed through the area some time before, fallen in love with one of the sisters, but left disappointed. The note commends Babette to these good people and offhandedly mentions that she can cook. During the intervening dozen years, Babette cooks the meals the sisters are used to, plain to a fault. In the twelfth year of her service to this family, Babette wins the French Lottery, a prize of 10,000 francs. At the same time, the sisters are planning a simple celebration of the hundredth anniversary of their father, the founder of their small Christian sect. They expect Babette to leave with her newfound wealth, but instead she surprises them by offering to cook a meal for the anniversary. Although they're secretly concerned about what Babette, a Catholic and a foreigner, might do, the sisters allow her to go ahead. In the whole transaction between Babette and the sisters, Babette uses just the tiniest opening, a modest celebration, to cook up a storm and wreak havoc in the lives of the sisters and with their community by such outrageous generosity. In the end, Babette's feast had some amazing effects. The community had become reconciled with each other. Those at table experienced a transformation and transcendence of the mundane, physical, and temporal dimensions of reality through the experience of a feast. 
The dinner guests at Babette's feast encountered the divine and received fulfillment through the experience of the physical act of eating. Babette's feast is a masterpiece that helps us to explore divine generosity with the image of a meal and its transforming quality. We discover that the meal is only the scenery of this feast, not the script. May it be the same at your dining room tables this weekend. Happy Thanksgiving and Bon Appetit. Father Thomas Rosica is a Brazilian priest. He is the CEO of Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation and the executive producer of this program. Send us your comments via Facebook, facebook.com slash slradio1. And if you're looking for a great parish resource, look no further. The Church Alive is a unique series that hopes to inspire people and get them talking about the faith, to share stories of the new evangelization, and to highlight the broad and inclusive nature of Catholicism and its rich tradition. The Church Alive is a seven-disc box set and comes with a study guide, everything you need for a parish weekly study program. And during the month of October, we're offering Salt and Light Hour listeners a 20% discount. You can get The Church Alive, that is all 13 half hours for just under $60. All you have to do when you go to our online store is use the following discount code, ALIVE. 20. So that's the word alive and the number 20, alive 20. Just go to saltandlighttv.org slash store, use the promo code alive 20, and you'll be able to get the church alive with a 20% discount. And if you forget the promo code, just don't worry, send me a tweet at Deacon Pedro GM, and I'll, I'll just give it to you. Don't miss out on this great opportunity. And while you're on our website, you can find out more at saltandlighttv.org slash the church alive. Coming up in our second half hour, the bishops meet in Rome to speak about the family, and we meet singer-songwriter Luke Spihar. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. As we speak, bishops from every country in the world are meeting in Rome to speak about the family. And I'm sure you've heard the word synod. We've, we've been mentioning it in this program and last week. And uh, it's just a way to say that the bishops are meeting. And this, ex- this is an extraordinary synod because it's actually a preparatory meeting for the ordinary synod that will take place next October in 2015. The topic is the family. And we have a whole Salt and Light team in Rome covering the Synod. And I had the chance to speak with Sebastian Gomes earlier this week. Sebastian, thank you for joining us. I know, you, I know you're running around busy, not getting enough sleep. Um, but uh, what is the significance uh, that the topic of this synod, these two synods is the family? What does that say to us? Well, first of all, thanks, uh, Deacon, for having me on. It, it's 
such an important issue. You know, from the very moment that Pope Francis announced this synod and released that questionnaire that went out to all the bishops' conferences around the world, there's been huge mm -hmm. interest because it's practical, because everybody comes from a family, right? We all have those fam familial experiences. And, of course, there's great challenges to family life today. Um, so it, it, it's such a, a relevant and pertinent topic that everybody is interested in it, and, and certainly the bishops and Pope Francis are too. Yeah, because everybody, uh, I've heard from bishops and other people, they say that the synods generally are inconsequential. Nothing ever gets done. Nothing ever comes out of them. But is it your sense that this one, because of the topic, is something that's going to affect everyone? Because as you said, everyone is in a family or comes from a family. I think you're exactly right. And the other thing that's really important to remember is that this synod is part of a process. Mm -hmm. It's a real synod in the sense, because the word synod means journeying together, walking together. Right. And this synod is uh, a part of a bigger journey, uh, because we're going to have the next, next year's synod, the ordinary synod, that's going to be much bigger, and then something concrete is going to come out of that. But this is really the preparatory synod. So it's really voices from around the world coming here, and the point is to produce a new working document that can then, again, be disseminated throughout the world to all the different uh, bishops' conference, to all the people of God, and then it's supposed to be a, a, an engagement, a discussion, a debate about these things, and then we'll come back next year and really hash the stuff out, and then the church will pronounce something at the end of that. Uh, so that's the other element to this that makes it really dynamic and kind of different and a little bit more you know, lively than, than some past synods. That's true, and that, that actually it sounds very exciting that the that, that church, who, that we think the church is always so, so abstract and so separate, that it actually f seems that the church is, 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 is working on something that is involving everybody from around the world to produce something that's going to be great. Exactly, and it's so, it's so Pope Francis, you know, yes. because he, since from the time of his election, he's been reaching out to people, and he's been connecting with people on that level, right, on their level. He's been, he's been coming to them and saying, you know, what, what do you think? What do you need? You know, what is your situation? Uh, and he gives that sense of, you know, being a pastor. That's why people feel so connected to them, because they feel that he understands what the real issues are out in the world, out in the parish, out in families, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and so there's a great positive response to that, of course. Yeah. Now, this is your your second synod. Most lay people, like most people, period, will never have a chance to, to go to a synod or even sit inside the synod hall. What what does it look like? Who is there? What What is a, a typical morning, afternoon like in the synod hall? Right. Yeah, good question. Well, I'll paint a little picture. I mean, the, the hall itself is kind of like an amphitheater. If you think of like one of those old Roman theaters where they had those great plays and dr uh, dramas uh, and things like that, it, it's right. just like that. So there's a head table at the bottom in the front where the Pope sits, and he's surrounded by you know the, the people who are kind of overseeing uh, the logistical parts of the synod and the organizational parts, and the people who are kind of who are kind of running each session, you know introducing the different speakers and that kind of thing. Right. So the and then everybody else is just sitting in the theater. So you've got cardinals, and then you have bishops. You have all the eastern bishops in one section. Um, and then at, at further up, you have the lay observers and the special delegates who have been invited to speak. And basically, this first week in particular, everybody who, uh, all the bishops and all the cardinals, have the chance to give an intervention, a four-minute intervention, to say, to comment on, on the initial working document that was prepared last, uh, the, the, yeah, this past year, right. um, and to, to say, here's what the most important or most relevant issue is for me and for 
the country and for the bishops' conference and for the people of God that are in my part of the world. Right, okay, hold on a second. So the Holy Father, the Pope, is there every day? He is. The only time that he's not there is on Wednesdays when he goes to the general, to the general audience, audience in the morning. But other okay. than that, he's there. And I rem- that's, a, that's a difference, because I remember last time in 2012, and remember, this is just you know a few months before Pope Benedict resigned. Resigned, yeah. Uh, he was only there maybe you know a half to two-thirds of the sessions because he was involved in a lot of stuff, but he was also very tired at that right. point. You know, right. We noticed that he was very tired even when he was there. Uh, so Pope Francis, um, uh, you know, we know how kind of energetic and enthusiastic he is about these kinds of things. Uh, he's there and he's listening. Yeah. And he really set the tone. The most important intervention so far was the intervention that he gave on the very first day in the morning. He said, I want openness and I want honesty. Uh-huh. And I want people to listen with humility. Right. So those are, those, that's what we need in order to achieve a synodality, collegiality, right? That experience of fraternity and unity but also, you know, freedom, relationship, enough, enough respect and care and concern and charity for each other that we can really hash out and, and, and get struggle through, walk together through these very important and difficult uh, topics. So is it fair to say that, that this, this is, there is a stage one of these interventions, so every single bishop, and there's bishops there from every country, will make a presentation and what, people take notes? Is there discussion afterwards? Yeah, exactly. Uh, everybody has the right to speak. So the first week is really getting through all of those official interventions that, that the bishops want to give. Uh, and then every afternoon there's an hour of free time, basically open mic. Mm-hmm. You know, you're on the radio, so you understand open mic. Yes. Everybody can, anybody can jump in and say what, say what they think. They can start a conversation. There's some back and forth about particular issues. Okay. Uh, it's really, really fascinating. Okay, now, I, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard the expression that when all is said and done, a lot, of, a lot is said and not much is done. <laughs> Right. <laughs> how much? How much of that is? I, mean, I guess maybe it's too early to say at this stage. Will there be uh, maybe next week small group sessions? Do we w- working groups? W- will any of that be part of the synod? Yeah. So the second week, people break into language groups and they oh. basically take everything that's been said, what they've heard, the official um, uh, address. That yeah. uh, Cardinal Erdo from Hungary gave, which yes. was really a summary address right at the beginning of the, si- the synod. Uh-huh. They'll take all of that, everything that they've heard, and try to talk about it and and break it down in their small language groups and and you know put together what are the big things, what are the main issues, what would we want to see based on what's been said in a new working document that will then be sent out around the world. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, and then they come back at the end of the second week and they meet in, a, in the big audience hall again, the big Aula Hall, yeah. and uh, actually vote on what will be in this working document. Okay, so then the goal of this, as you said, the goal of this uh, extraordinary synod, so this prep, preparatory synod, is to prepare a working document for the next synod uh, that will set, the, I guess, the guidelines or the, the, discussion, the tone for the discussion, the topics of discussion for the next synod. Exactly. I mean, a lot of people are kind of, you know, watching in expectation, and we have all these big, you know, media people around here saying, oh my gosh, you know, the doctrine of the church is going to change in a day. Right. And uh, it's just not true. I mean, that it's, uh, <laughs> the other thing is you've got to understand exactly what you just said, that this is the first stage in a process, in yeah. a journey. Uh, and so we can't have those kinds of expectations. I mean, they're just not realistic, right. and they're also not the goal of this yeah. stage of the process. Right. So yeah. yes, it's just to produce a new working document that 
then will be sent out to the world and people will be able to engage in a, in a dialogue with that document at the local level. Yeah, now you mentioned that there are some lay experts, so these are not bishops, they're probably not, well, they're not clergy. They're, who are these people and, and, and why are they there? Well, that's hugely important. Uh, there are not many, there's 13 couples uh, from different parts of the world. Uh -huh. Interestingly, what's new about this synod is they've been asked to address the synod at the beginning of each session. So the beginning of each morning and afternoon session, the first people to speak are a lay couple, uh -huh. and they share an experience. They share their point of view. And the goal is really to have, have that frame the conversation of that particular session. And many of the bishops have commented about how wonderful that is. Um, you know, m most of them. Uh, would really like to see even more lay people involved in the process. Okay. Uh, we have to wait and see what the what the dynamic of the next synod will be, what the makeup of the next synod will be, and how many lay people will be involved. It's obviously uh, not only important but absolutely essential to do that because when we're talking about families, we're talking primarily about lay people. Yes, of course. You know, uh, but it's a wonderful working relationship and talking to the lay couples that are there. I mean, they feel that it's a great privilege, but they also feel that it's a real kind of family atmosphere in and of itself, because the pastors of the church, the bishops, really do care greatly for their people. Uh, and, and a lot of the interventions that the bishops are giving, they're saying, look, we've talked to people on the ground. These are our pastoral experiences. The, the, this is really what the people are saying. You know, this is, we're bringing the message but we're bringing the message on behalf of, of a complete church, you know, a whole mm -hmm. church made up of all these people mm -hmm. in our local context. Okay. Okay, Sebastian, we're going to leave it there. I know you're running around and you have things to do and, and sleep to get, um, <laughs> but enjoy yeah. while you're in Rome, and we'll get a, try to get a chance to speak to you again next week. Okay, thanks a lot, Deacon. Appreciate it. Sebastian Gomes is a producer for Salt and Light Television and the producer of the documentary, The Francis Effect. You can follow all his coverage of the Synod online and through our social media at saltandlighttv.org. I spoke to him earlier this week. He was in Rome. And here now is our featured artist of the week, Luke Spihar, with an explanation from his new album, All is Gift.
Bihar with an explanation from his first album, Be Still. Now, I first heard about Luke Spihar because he was opening for Ben Harper in a concert in Toronto. And next thing I know, a friend is telling me that Luke had been in the seminary and that he had discerned the priesthood. Now, during that time, he wrote songs for his second album, No Other Way. And since then, he's been dedicated to writing music and performing and has performed all across the United States and, of course, in Canada as well. His latest album, All Is Gift, is co-produced by Ben Harper and Sheldon Gomberg. And I'm very happy to welcome Luke Spihar to our show. Luke, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Uh, Deacon Pedro, it's a pleasure and an honor to be with you. So um, I want to talk about the seminary in a second, but before that, so what was it like growing up in the Spihar household? Uh, <laughs> it was busy. We had I have two brothers and two sisters, and uh, we I grew up north of the cities here in Minnesota, uh, the Twin Cities, uh, St. Yeah. Paul, Minneapolis, uh, and uh, up in the woods, kind of. So I spent most of my uh, my childhood running around building forts and exploring the woods. So it nice. was uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a fun childhood. So Catholic family. Yep, yep. Born and raised Catholic. My uh, my parents uh, were actually both Catholic. 
when they were married, and uh, and, and we, that's just an ingrained part of our our life. So, yep, I was born and raised Catholic, and and were you for that in the beginning? Were you doing music uh, as a child, or because I know you didn't start, you weren't writing songs until you were a teenager, correct? Yeah, I had I started with music uh, really young in my life. Actually, I think when I was about probably six or so, I yeah. was playing the violin. Oh yeah, and then uh, seven when I when I turned seven, I switched over to the guitar, uh-huh. um, and I actually had written. You know, I, I mentioned this, but I, I wrote my first song when I was in seventh grade. I wanted to write my first song in seventh grade. Nice. Uh, but, I, but, but that's not a very good song, so no one will ever hear that one. <laughs> <laughs> it was the first first try. But your first album, Be Still, was, was most of those songs were written while you were a teenager. Correct, yeah. I was uh, a senior in high school when I got those, uh, when I just felt those come onto my heart. I was... Uh, Kind of actually the summer of my between my junior year and my senior year is when I started to write it. Yeah. And then I finished the, the all seven songs by the time I was before I graduated actually. So before and, I graduated high school. And did you record it at the time as well, or did that come later? That came later. So I I had been praying a lot about you know when I was supposed to record or if I was ever supposed to record and really um, it was on my heart. I'll, a lot during college, but I didn't really have a, an opportunity where I felt the Lord really blessed it until my senior year in college. So um, I'd actually written a number of songs before I actually recorded my first album, but mm-hmm. uh, that was just kind of the timeline. Okay, so wait, so you were, were you always involved in the church? Or like, you, it sounds like you were, a, as a teenager, praying about stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, for for me, my my journey was something like, um, you know, born and raised Catholic. Uh, I think I have a similar story to uh, many Catholics where the faith wasn't as personal uh, to me Mm -hmm. until it was kind of a turning point for me. And that really came my junior year, really right when I started writing my own music and kind of putting my prayers to music Mm -hmm. and then them becoming songs. That's really when I kind of took Christ into my heart personally. Right. and then, so that was really kind of a turning point, and that's kind of when I decided maybe I'll, I'll just really let the Lord kind of have His way in my life, uh, and then you know eventually led me into, you know, the possibility He led me into a college seminary to to really pursue Him possibly as a priest. So okay, let me ask you about that. that. Was, uh, so you you sure. thought you might be called to the priesthood for people who don't know the difference? What what is a college seminary? Is that um, a regular seminary? Well, Right, so a college seminary uh, is just like, so basically it, it spreads, it gives you some seminary time during college, it kind of spreads out the philosophy that you would take okay. either in a major seminary, well, in a ma- major seminary in college. So I, I guess if you have a, I, the kind of short uh, version of it is if you if you have a degree in something and, um, you, and you go into major seminary, you have to study two years of pre-theology, and that's basically philosophy. So what yes. they do is they take those two years, spread it over four during your college, and, and you get to discern while you're in a college setting. Uh, I see. And just give your life over that way. So you discerned for four years while you were in college, and you discerned that the priesthood was not for you. Right. And, but, yeah. but music, I guess music would have been part of that discernment. It was, you know, it, it was a part. I, uh, uh, you know, I always say 
um, I'm always so positive when people ask me, you know, what, what happened? You know, you just started out, you know, you were in and then all of a sudden you came out, you know, I thought you were going to be a priest. And, yeah. Uh, it, was, it was kind of a powerful rejoicing when people were like, well, you found what the Lord wants you to do, whether it be, uh, you know, coming in and out, you know, either pursuing the priesthood in the major seminary or, or leaving to go pursue them in a different way. So yeah, I had, um, <clears throat> during that time, I was really involved with a uh, kind of a Catholic outreach mass that we were putting on as a seminary for for the University of St. Thomas. And mm-hmm. we had, uh, it started with about 12 people, and then by the time we left, by my senior year, there was over 400 people coming to this mass. Wow. And uh, so it just really grew, and I was, I was playing kind of some quieter meditational music for the mass. It was just kind of a solo guitar and, and uh, you know, just kind of what, whatever meditation kind of came to my heart. And that's really where I started to realize that the Lord might have something more for me mm-hmm. in music. Um, and then I actually recorded my album my senior year and released it and kind of told the campus that I was going to do a release concert. And, uh, you know, so over the, you know, at least those 400 came to that concert. Right. Um, and so I just really realized, man, I think the Lord has something to do. Nice. He wants me to do something with this music. So nice. that was that was really what kind of... Uh, solidified it for me. I said, Lord, what, what's your will? And I just felt him bless a, a music ministry and to really pursue that. So gave right. me the freedom to go. Right. So you've been doing, con- since then you've been in concerts, you've, you've, you've been doing retreats. Um, uh, tell us about the military retreats. What's, what's the connection with the military for you? So my, uh, my, my older brother, Nick was, uh, was in the Naval Special Forces. He was killed in action in, uh, in Afghanistan, 2011. Mm. Wow. And since then, my uh, his community really reached out to me heavy to just come and be a part of their their pre and post deployment retreat and just to kind of be uh, involved in the community. And right. So it's uh, it's really been pretty. It's been an incredible honor to be just kind of connected to our military and uh, and uh, just really kind of give back for for everything they do. Yeah, what a great opportunity and a, and a blessing. Most people don't think that there would be, you know, retreats for military, you know, before they get deployed or when they come back. That's that's really good to know. Um, you're right. What an honor yeah, to be part re- of that. Right. No, right. The retreats there, too, are, are a little different than my the Catholic group kind of think, but it's just kind of a, it is in, the, in that sense, just a, a moment to get away with their families and, yeah. and learn more about different skills and different things that they can kind of make yeah. their families healthy. So it's really kind of a powerful thing that I'm we're great. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, what a great apostolate. Um, so you have a new album, All Is Gift. It was it was co-produced by Ben Harper. I'm sure a lot of our listeners know who Ben Harper is. What's different for you about All Is Gift? Uh, with a, the, just the production level is, is higher than any, anything I've done before. Yeah. Um, and then just being able to work with Ben and kind of phone in the songs and kind of edit them down to where they're, uh, you know, for me, you know, some of my best work. And uh, to, uh, you know, it's it's a little bigger sounding. You know, I have, I, I my first two albums are solo acoustic, and then here this one has some cello on it, some yes. upright bass, some piano. So it's yes. a little bit fuller sound. It's, I don't think it ever gets too big, but it's a little bit fuller than I think my... Yeah, it's nice. It is nice, and that's the first thing I noticed. It's like, oh, there's a nice cello and piano because it's not so raw. But but I guess everybody's got got their taste. Um, 
uh, I guess I was going to say pe- for people in Milwaukee, you're going to be playing a concert on October 25th. That's important to mention if anybody's in Milwaukee and, and you like the music, go go see Luke. Um, anything else that's new, Luke, coming for you? Uh, no, just a slow. I'll actually be, uh, my hope is to just get on the road and, and just tour the whole country with this album. And um, this fall is kind of, uh, kind of getting ready, and, and I'm really going to hit the road heavy here uh, after the new year. So it kind of gives me some time to kind of plan out. And so I'm uh, I'm just excited. I'll just be going, making a big loop all the way around from down south. It looks like, and then turning going east um, for me up towards like uh, New York, and then back around through Idaho and or excuse me, Ohio and different. Uh, just kind of coming, making big loops around the country, just to just to share the gift that this music has been to me and get the album out. So. Okay, good. And all that information would be on your website, lukespihar.com, in case people want to find out if you're coming to their town. Certainly let us know if you're coming to Canada. But uh, a lot of people in the United States listen to this program, so uh, keep us posted on where you are, and we'll share it with everybody, okay? Yeah, that sounds fantastic, yeah. All right, Luke, thank you very much for, for taking a little bit of time to, to tell us about yourself and for sharing your, your music and your ministry with us today. Oh, it's been a gift. Thank you so much. You can learn more about Luke Spihar and purchase his music or find out how to bring him to your parish or whether he's coming to your community by going to his website, lukespihar.com. That's Spihar, S-P-E-H-A-R.com. But I'm going to put that link on our site and also on my Twitter feed so you can find it easily. Here now is Luke Spihar with the title track of his new album, All Is Gift.
this faith I hold and believe This gift was withheld until my hands wearied of grasping Slowly opened to fully receive We're listening to Luke Spihar with All Is Gift from his album of the same name. And that will take us to the end of the program. Remember that if you're listening from Michigan on the Barriga Radio Network, send me a tweet at Deacon Pedro GM for a chance to win a copy of Ken Canedo's book, Keep the Fire Burning, The Folk Mass Revolution. Also, remember the exclusive offer to Salt and Light, our listeners, of a 20% discount to the series The Church Alive. Just go to our online store at saltandlighttv.org and use the promo code ALIVE20. And that offer is valid for the whole month of October. Again, if you can't remember the code, just send me a tweet and I'll give it to you. Next week, we'll be learning about exorcisms with the author of The Right, Matt Baglio. And we'll be speaking with singer-songwriter Tony Melendez. So be sure to tune in. Thank you for your support and thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro and this has been the Salt and Light Hour. is gone I see that all is gift